Well, I hope you all in, enjoyed and grew from our time studying the first vineyard value, the theology and practice of the kingdom of God. Uh, just by way of a disclaimer, I want you to know that I am aware that there is so much more, and Martha let me know also that there's really a whole lot more concerning the uh, theology and the practice of the kingdom of God that we could have delved into, right? I could have delved into that. Uh, and I'm sure at a, a later time we, we will be coming back to that topic, both as the theology and the practice of uh, the kingdom. It's a very, very rich topic. But for now, we're going to stick to the broader stroke of examining uh, all five of the vineyard values, and so we move on to the second vineyard value of experiencing God. And just to give you a hint of the depth of this value, we'll also add subtitles of uh, worshiping God and intimacy with God. We're going to be weaving uh, in and out of those three um, topical headings, experiencing God, worshiping God, and intimacy with God. So taking the first uh, broad brushstroke on our canvas, let's hear what the Vineyard Movement says about the Vineyard value of experiencing God. First, from their website, it says, God is eager to be known and experienced by all. We believe that God is searching for lost humanity in order to draw us into intimate relationship with himself. In response to God's initiative, we value the life-changing power of the experience of his presence. The primary place where that relationship is nurtured and developed is in the act of worship, both private and corporate. We experience God's presence as a palpable reality when we worship. As we worship, we can do as Jesus did, see what the Father is doing, and support his work with our lives. I'm just going to throw up a quick clip from uh, Phil Strout. Our values. So let me tell you this. If we're going to go, or you know, 
I think the cars, new cars ought to come out equipped as sound booths. And what a place of worship, huh? Long trips, back and forth to work. I hear that all the time. You know, oh, yeah, I bring in my CDs or whatever, you know. Someone, someone said, had my headphones on. Isn't that illegal? <laughs> Having a huh? Not in New Hampshire? Oh, good thing. Because you could take out an ice, ice mound having your headphones in. <laughs> Thank you, Keith. <laughs> uh, I, I was going to sculpt that, you know, telling you, doing ice sculpture out there. Anyways, again, same with the broader brushstroke on the topic. I want to look at some instances of biblical individuals who have experienced God in profound ways and what their personal response to the encounter might reveal to us. The first individual is, interestingly enough, the first individual, right? Adam, right? Let's start right at the start. Adam experienced God like no other, except maybe Eve. Adam and Eve are the original masterpiece of God's portrait picture of his own best desire for a relationship with humanity, the pinnacle of his creative outbursts at the start of it all. Made in his image, we are. So listen to Paul's prayer for the church. And this is from uh, Martha's world-famous Amplified Version. <laughs> uh, Ephesians 3.18. That you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, the experience of that love. What is the breadth and length and height and depth of it that you may really come to know practically through experience for yourself the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have the richest measure of the divine presence and become a body holy, filled, and flooded with God himself. So if you can get a piece of that, you're doing okay. <laughs> Tell you what. <laughs> wow. So Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So not only did God create man, he prepared a place for man. Sound familiar? Listen to, listen to Jesus in John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? God is still preparing a place of relational intercourse with his humanity. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. The whole purpose of God's preparation for his re-encounter of relationship with man is to take man, humanity, to himself. That where I am, you may be also. 
Genesis 2.18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. God cared and provided for man's well-being. And this is the distinctive activity, the thing that most precious, that most precious thing that was lost to humanity when Adam and Eve fell into temptation and, and sin is this in Genesis 3, out, 3, 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I just think about, and, and where were we at? Dinner last night or something, and Martha, Martha asked a question about casual drinkers. You know, we're in some topics. Well, what about casual drinkers? You know, someone, are they alcoholics? They come home at the end of the day, and they have a, they have a drink with their meal. Or, you know, I, I don't know why we're there. And I'm thinking, you know, I used to be a casual marijuana smoker. At the end of every day, I'd smoke a joint, you know. And I just did it. I didn't even think there was anything wrong with it. It was just doing it, you know. And you know what that is? We're trying to find the cool of the day experience. We all say it. Oh, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I had a hectic day. You know, I have a drink or I smoke a joint or I take a pill or, you know, have sex or go to a prostitute or go to a bar. Or I do this or I do that. We're looking for the cool of the day experience that was lost. It's the most precious thing that we lost. We're looking. We're listening. We're trying to find something that's missing inside. And so we do all these other things. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But even then, already knowing their fallen condition, God did what God does. He sought them out. Genesis 3.9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Where are you? He's still asking that question today. Where are you? And he asks it in the church all the time. Where are you at? Where are you in relationship to me? Where are you in relationship to your brothers, to your sisters, to the church? Understand that since the loss of Eden and the breaking of fellowship and intimate relationship with God in the garden, man has been on an ongoing quest to once again experience God. And the process over time and through the ongoing influence of the great deceiver has morphed into every form of religious activity you can imagine. And for the most part, none of them has been good. And for certain, none of them has been able to restore man's condition from fallen to beloved. Nonetheless, we, through biblical knowledge, see that God has continually pursued redemption of man from sin and the restoration of the relationship that was lost, a relationship that Father God desires more than we ever could. Following our several Old Testament characters who experienced God, I want you to see if you can spot the common denominator in all of these quick little stories. Genesis 8.15, God says to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife, and your sons, and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and they, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. 
So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered the burnt offerings on the altar. Genesis 12:7. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Genesis 13:14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Genesis, Genesis 26, 24. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Genesis 28.10, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set up a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. So what's the point? What is it that we are seeing in these scripture readings? It's as simply this. It, each one of these individuals had the same response to their personal experience with God. Did anyone catch it? Yeah. yeah. Some type of marker, right? They all left a marker at the spot where they experienced God. Why? Let me give you a single example that also explains the why. In Joshua 4, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, 
from each tribe a man and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. Now here it is. Here's the why. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? What does your experience with God mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Markers are the Old Testament shadow of our New Testament testimonies. They convey the stories of active faith in a faithful God, and they were, more, they were powerful reminders to future generations that God is present and can be experienced in real time. Because experience takes us deeper than knowledge. And so beyond our theology, knowing about God, we must add experience, being known by God. Although markers in and of themselves have no power other than to, to be inanimate reminders of a past event that would cause one to give praise and worship to God for his wonderful deeds, nonetheless, because of man's religious propensities, these markers, all occasions, will often, over time, become objects of worship, the worship themselves, a form of idolatry. Two examples. The first example concerns an object. It's found in 2 Kings 18. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now, does everyone know the story behind that? So the children of Israel are wandering through the wilderness, and they sin against God. And so God's response is to send serpents, poisonous snakes, in amongst the clan. And people are bitten, be, being bitten by the snakes, and they're dying. And so Moses goes before the Lord and intercedes and pleads for the people and says, you know, you've got to stop this plague. These are your people, and it's going to be really bad on your reputation, you know. Uh, can you fix this? And he says, all right, make a bronze image of this sin, the consequence of this sin. Make an image of the consequence of this sin. So he makes a bronze serpent, and he puts it up on a cross. 
He put their sin on a cross. And everyone who looked on the serpent on the cross, the image of their own sin on the cross, the image of their own sin on the cross was saved from the plague. Awesome, right? What a type of the salvation of Jesus Christ. What an image. What a picture. And yet within a few generations, they have set this bronze serpent up as something to be worshipped in and of itself. Yeah, we just have that propensity, don't we? A second example concerns a response to experiencing God. The compulsion to do something in response to God's presence that will somehow validate your part in the experience, thus making our works as idolatrous as any objects we put before God. It's found in Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Jesus only becomes highly significant for us within the framework of this thought that Old Testament markers are shadows of New Testament testimonies. Once you understand what a New Testament Testament testimony really is, let's go. Let's go probably to the number one verse concerning the power of a New Testament testimony. Let's see what one really looks like. Revelation 12, 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb. Remember, the enemy is thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. Do you think this is simply referencing the things they had to say just before they died? I always did. I thought it was the word of their testimony, the word of their testimony, the things that they said. And they gave up their lives. They were martyred, right? But check this out. The word, word, <laughs> used in this verse, in English is, 
in English, in Greek, is logos. Logos. So, big deal, right? Except that, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word, logos, was with God. And the word, logos, was God. The word, logos, was God. And so the New Testament marker is Jesus only. Right? They have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word Logos, the word God, of their testimony. It never was about what they could do. It is always about what God does in and through and for us that gives us the victory that transforms us into overcomers even in death. And so it was not what they spoke it wasn't their own words as they died. It was that they became the words spoken by God by the lives they gave. You following this? It wasn't them speaking. It wasn't their testimony. It was God speaking. When the enemy rose up, I'm going to take their lives. God said, I'll... this is what I've got to say. And they gave their lives. They valued not their lives, even unto death. And so was God testifying about his love, that his love had conquered fear within them, even fear over death. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ. They loved not their lives unto death. And those words are loud enough to silence the devil. Markers, real testimonies, are about what we have to say is not what about what we have to say or what we have done. It is always about what he has done. Have you experienced God lately? I've been thinking about some of my markers, my experiences with God. I've got some pretty profound stories I was wondering, Lord, what would you have me share? And then Thursday at the end of the food pantry, after we close at noon, and it would take about an hour cleanup time, and I think we were about a half an hour into that, and two women walk in. Oh, are we too late? Of course, they, they know they're too late because they've come before. Oh, yeah, everyone's gone. We're just cleaning up. Oh, so Martha says, do you have anything? No, we don't have anything. And one of them says, yeah, we were at the pool swimming. <laughs> so I said, life is good, right? <laughs> well, and then the lady runs down this list of spinal problems that she has, and being at the pool is part of her therapy. I said, well, thank God you got a pool to go to for therapy, you know. And I'm task-oriented. I don't know if you know that about me. So I go back to my vacuuming, and Martha hollers up, hey, Dick, I think they need prayer. <laughs> so much for school of kingdom ministry training <laughs> I shut off my back and I get down and we talked to these ladies and one of the ladies you know she's describing all the things that are wrong with her with her back and I said so let's let's um let's do the pain meter let's say on a scale one is you're no pain at all 10 like it's excruciating where are you at she's oh seven I live at seven. I'm always at a seven pain. He says, all right, so I'm going to put my hand on your back. We're going to pray, and God's going to reduce that pain uh, 
I don't know, maybe down to a five. Let's not just say a five. So I pray, Lord Jesus, and all of a sudden, so I said, well, do something you can't do. Bend over and touch your toes. So she bends over and touches her toes, and her girlfriend, like, does this little mini screech, like, what? You can't do that. She said, well, I couldn't do that. I can do it now. I said, well, what's your pain? I said, oh, about a five, about a five. I said, well, if he can do from seven to five, we can go from five to maybe three, two. I don't know. Let's see what God does. So we prayed again. I said, why don't you put your hands up in the air and pray it again. And I said, no. Kind of wiggle your hips around, bend over, touch your toes. She does all these things, and her girlfriend starts crying. I said, what's the matter with you? She says, we just walk in here, and and you pray for her, and and now she's got no more pain. She's doing all these things that she couldn't do, and I pray every day for my son who's a heroin addict, and God doesn't listen to me, and tears are streaming down her face. So we pray for her, and we pray encouragement. And she senses the presence of God. There was no pain meter, but there was a heart meter. And all of a sudden, she understood that God's hearing her. God's listening to her. And just a sense of peace and joy came to her. It's a marker. It's a marker for her life. I don't know what God will do with that. Them who went and got a food, right? So both of them left here. You know, changed women. Changed women. They came and they found the presence of the Lord. They experienced his presence, and now they have markers. They have a testimony. Wow, went to this food pantry. We were late. We got more than we asked for. God was there. God showed up. You know, how awesome is that? Well, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you're so awesome. We love your presence, Lord. It's so valuable to us to, to come to, together, to gather together, Lord, or to be in the shower or to be in our car traveling, to listen to worship music, to sing our hearts out and all of a sudden know that your ears are tuned uh, to our voices that our joyful noise is affecting heaven. We feel your presence. It's so good. You are so good. And I ask you, O God, today for anyone who needs a marker in their life, that you would come, Holy Spirit. Just come. Touch their hearts. Touch their minds. Reveal yourself to them in such a way, O God, that there will be an indelible mark upon their lives. I went there expecting nothing and met the King of glory. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Father, we will build altars in our hearts to offer to you the praise and the worship of the lives that we live. That you would continually be glorified for your presence. Bless our lives. Bless these people's lives, O oh God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need